0: Welcome, citizens, to the Q&A episode of the Liberty Critical Research Podcast.
1: All right. Uh, so here today we have Brian Keller, Travis Vengroff, and Caitlin Statz. That's uh, Kato Patel, Officer Severus Jonkvist, the writer, and Mrs. Tong. So I'm also the producer. I'm yes. Travis. And Brian?
2: Brian here, uh, voice of Cato Patel. Yeah, yeah. It sounds great. Great to be here, guys.
1: Great great to have you, Brian.
0: Hey, you're back.
2: I am back. <laughs> He's From <alive>. the dead. <laughs>
0: Don't say that. They'll get their hopes up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's gone.
0: So we are the Liberty Endures subreddit. And thank you for everyone who posted questions at the subreddit or emailed us or, for those who know us, texted us or just ran into us in the street and then said, I have to know about this thing in the podcast. Yeah. So we compiled all of your questions. And let's see how long this goes for.
2: All right, so we have some of your questions here. I'm going to read off and let's see if we can answer some for you guys. Okay, first question. How did the idea for Liberty come to be? What differences are there between the podcast and the upcoming comic? Wait, and wait, we'll, wait.
1: Let's, let's do one at a time. One at a time. <laughs> okay. One at a time. We'll,
2: this was like a... Okay, so how did the idea for Liberty come to be?
0: Go for it.
1: Okay, so... Wow, my breath is bad. I can hear. I can feel my breath bouncing off of your face because we're both using one microphone and then back into my face. <laughs> it's <so bad. laughs> It's awful. Wow. I need a breath mint. We have or gum. Better food. We do?
2: Yeah.
0: It's also tea. Don't let it get cold.
1: Oh. I derailed the conversation. I know.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so how Liberty came to be a uh, long time ago in college. I, uh, we don't have gum. No, it's you shaking. I, I, I will endure. It's in the car. <laughs> I will uh, endure. Okay, that's fine.
2: I'll get it. No, no, no. Go, <laughs> go, go get it. <laughs> <laughs> you can smell it. That's bad. Caitlyn does not endure. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, a
1: long time ago in college, I had drawn this picture of a lady. I guess I was really fascinated by the idea of what I'd drawn, and I was like, man, I need to make a world for this character, because this character is a really cool concept art piece. It's actually really horrible, because I'm bad at art. So I I developed a basic world around this character, whose name is Twitch, and has always sort of been Twitch. And I played D&D games, more or less, that set it in the world, and it was, it was kind of exciting. And eventually, I had the idea for a story, and that story became kind of a movie idea. But movies are really expensive, so it became a comic book, and now we have a podcast. And
0: Which is still really expensive. Not the podcast, the comic book.
1: The comic books are expensive, <laughs> yeah. But not
2: as bad as movies. Very cool. Second question. So, what differences are there between the podcast and the upcoming comic?
0: So the podcast is actually written in the same timeline, in the same world, as the comic book. Okay. But it actually happens several years before the comic book is going to take place. So to like ask what characters might make an appearance is almost a spoiler for who may or may not be around at the end. So what, what can we say?
1: What can we say? The events of the podcast have some influence on the series. You know, the work that Kovsky and his team is, is doing is actually pretty important.
2: So... Uh, What was the main inspiration For the research story And overall what is the inspiration For the Liberty universe
0: Should we start with the universe And go backwards down to
1: Sure go for it
0: Well the universe is you And I'll I'll say the inspiration for the research thing Uh,
1: The inspiration for the Liberty universe Really a lot of things A lot of sci-fi So much sci-fi A lot of uh, research on world cultures Kind of a mix of bunch of movies been oh, is this gum is it this is gum no. She'll get to it. you don't just have to going. acknowledge it oh i don't acknowledge the gum okay and people are gonna think i have like halitosis
2: <laughs> just don't don't <laughs> chew next to the microphone oh three pieces oh three three chiclets
1: why don't you answer another question in the meantime caitlin or just uh the the research
2: story
0: all right so oh my Inspira- God, that was inspiration
2: so for the research story
0: So the research story actually comes from several ideas that uh, Travis and I sat down and wrote out. And it was actually the least fleshed out idea that we had. And it ended up turning into the entire story. So we don't know how it actually happened that way. But the reason it's more of a research story is because we thought it would be very interesting from an anthropological perspective to take a person who is from a culture where they don't even have anthropology and is more along the lines of a sociologist and throw them out into what's supposed to be a cultural experience slash military experience. And I have background in ethnography, so it was interesting for me to try and create an idea where this strange, nerdy person goes out into the world and has to learn about others. So I don't know if that made any sense. Oh my God, don't do that.
1: (laughs) So, sorry. (laughs) For those listening at home, I pulled the gum out so I could speak clearly and not sound interesting. That's I don't really either. know the, the answer of, of what maybe inspired the universe. A lot of things. I can't really point to anyone. It's a difficult question.
0: There have been a lot of people who have helped inspire the universe. So
1: There's been a lot of contributions. The original like stories and stuff in the world had like a lot of holes that people could poke in it. So we spent a lot of time trying to Poked so many holes. I
2: guess instead, of, maybe <laughs> instead of the main inspiration, like what made you want to flesh this out, like what was driving you to create something like this?
1: I felt it was a really good story. I can't really, you know, the story hasn't been told yet. Yeah, <laughs> but it's that's uh, the story
0: of the comic book. The comic
1: book story, yeah. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It, I've been working on it for like seven years. It's kind of been ongoing, just with different artists and a lot of different people helping me uh, develop it and make it. More realistic, more science than fiction in the science fiction world. But yeah.
2: So how about their customs in Atreus and even in The Fringe? What are any contrasts and customs?
0: So this is very interesting from the perspective of I write for the podcast, but he writes for the world so everything that I write, I have to run by him and say, "Does this make sense for the world you're trying to create?" So if you take, for example, if I write a story about a child who's going to school, he'll say, "Oh no, no, they don't. They don't have school. They have educational courses. They don't consider it schooling." And like, there's no such thing as police officers. They're considered like enforcers. enforcers or so everything's a little bit different. There's a mixture of what I create for the customs and what Travis already has in his world preset. So I'm trying to create more while still within a mold. So the customs come from a lot of different things, and a lot of them are made up by Travis, who's taken them from a bunch of different ideas. And then for the Fringers that I'm working with for for the podcast, it has to do with working within things that are already created as well. So it sounds really bad, because it sounds like I'm not writing anything, but I take everything that's already existing, like somebody who writes for a Star Trek or Star Wars book, they have to take what's already a- in the world and make something new out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you just put the gum down?
1: I put it in my tea. Oh, minty. <laughs> it's disgusting. Uh, so, no, I, but like the season two stuff, which none of you guys have heard yet, Like Shh. a lot of that is it's original stuff that you've, you've come up with. You're, you've got to give yourself a little bit more credit. You're creating culture, and it's kind of exciting. But the uh, the Atrian customs are kind of an, an idea of a society that takes their words more literally. They, they look for a more literal language. They're trying to reduce idioms. Shooting fish in a barrel. They don't have fish. Uh, they don't have barrels, so they do neither of those things. Mm-hmm. So things are just easy for them. Trying to make a literal language, trying to have the written language, which is referenced one or two times, is phonetic. So, it's no silent T's or Q's. Culturally, it's a hodgepodge of a bunch of different ethnicities and, and cultures, sort of all in one. Right. If that makes sense.
2: What would you say is the main influence for, say, Fringer names or how they their dialect? What was the main influence there? Or what I mean, do you draw influence from?
1: Yeah, there's, there's no real main influence. The fringe can be kind of uh, almost anything. I, I try not to reference animals. Very frequently at all, if ever. Atrians never reference animals, but the fringe kind of has like, you know, someone will come across a coloring book and it'll have a giraffe in it. So they'll be like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, the giraffe, this creature looks terrifying. Oh, my (laughs) God. It's got a huge neck. It could probably, you know, stomp someone to death. We're going to call ourselves the giraffes. You know, that that would be kind of a, right. a fringer thought. You just sort of have to approach things with an open mind and like how would you interpret something if you'd never seen it before or what's a good name for this person? We should call this person... Well, their, their name as a kid has been Bubbles, but we, we want to call him Scar. Why? I don't have a scar. Now you do. Now you're Scar. You know, making people right. tougher.
0: That was so specific. I don't even know if it applied to the question.
1: Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to ramble. I apologize. Yes. Yeah.
2: The next question. So... Are the Atrian characters in episode one supposed to sound as proper as they do?
0: Absolutely. So Mrs. Tongs and Dr. Fan and Miss Paulset are all supposed to be very official military and government figures. So they they have this ideal of being the great Atrian, which is Mm -hmm. more like the inner city versus the fringe. The fringe is this place where people are almost feral. And then the inner city has the high society, the militaristic ideals... So when they speak, it's not that they're trying to speak properly. That's just the way they know they're supposed to be speaking. Right. It's an incredibly proper society.
1: I guess in the fringe, altruism is dead. People don't work together to achieve common goals. They work together to achieve personal goals that are mutually beneficial for a period of time, generally speaking. There there are a few exceptions, like the dark kin, because right. they're actually a, a family, mm-hmm. uh, which is very rare. But Atreus is like one living organism, and everyone is a part of that organism and wants it to succeed.
2: So that's... um, I don't know
0: what that has to do with them sounding proper, Travis. Well,
1: like, that that kind of explains maybe that they want to sound proper, they want to... They have to
2: educate everyone to speak like them, and... Yeah. Yeah. Right, the Fringe threatens that, so they're... Brian speaks my crazy. (laughs)
0: Okay, I don't speak your crazy.
2: (laughs) On the podcast, the Fringers are... They're perceived as monsters to the Atrians. Could you go into that a little bit? Is there just spreading fear to the Atrians? I don't know if that's a spoiler.
0: It's not entirely based on the citizens' ideals, though. It's actually based on a government ideal, in my opinion, of controlling the major populace of the inner city. So if the government tells the inner city that the Fringers are complete monsters, it just strengthens the bond they have to the inner city and allows them even And not even to more. leave. Yeah, it's like you can't leave... And you, you have to follow all there. rules. Exactly. Like, out there, it will kill you. So you stay no here and follow options, the rules. But
2: to uh, speak our language and Atreus yeah. endures.
0: Exactly. Uh,
2: what is the approximate population on the planet as a. Sorry, one more time. This is why reading from a phone stinks. <laughs> I said I could print it. Yeah, Travis. Save the tree. Okay. What is the approximate population on the planet at the time the story takes place? Ah, oh, shucks. I remember there was a, a minimum number of people that are required to
1: properly populate a planet. It was a Google search I did, and I think it was like 70,000 people. And I had projections somewhere explaining like, well, if this many years happened and you lost this percentage of your population, this is how many people you would still have, and, you know, a kind of expansion. I had models somewhere, I just don't
2: remember them. <laughs> As I, as I spit all over Caitlin. <laughs> this is well, such in, a gross in interview. In comparison, um, <laughs> Atreus to the Fringe. If someone had to like visualize it, what would be the approximate like population of each? Oh,
1: if you're just doing like by size. The whole colony overall is like New York City, maybe. In your
0: term, does the colony include the Fringe or not?
1: Yeah, that would include the Fringe. So you're okay. You're basically so everything. At Manhattan. Okay. So All right. it's, like, Manhattan, and then maybe, like, the village would be maybe, like, Atreus. It's not huge. It's maybe a distance of uh, two miles. For those of circular. us who don't
0: know anything about okay. New York City, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> like, it's about
1: two miles out of out of maybe, like, a five-mile city. Um, it's maybe, like, a mile-and-a-half circle. So the fringe is huge in comparison. Oh, yeah. That's why Atre- you know, Atreus would just destroy them. They're so organized. The fringe is disorganized, but there's lots of them, and... Uh, you know, numerical superiority as opposed to anything else.
2: Cool. So, so what happened to Cato? Is he dead? Will he come back? Why, Cato? Why, indeed? Why, indeed?
1: Thoughts? What, were you, what was your reaction to finding out your character died, and how did you find out?
2: Well, I actually found out while reading my lines for the first time. Um, I, I found out in the moment, which was kind of cool in a way. I was shocked, um, but overall accepting, kind of as Kato was in the moment. But yeah, very surprised. <laughs> I, I'm with I'm with the audience on this one. Caitlin Why I think why, I'm still alive. Why did we kill Cato?
0: Okay. So Is he dead? Am I answering that question? Yeah, go for it. Okay, Both. so from the perspective of what I've written so far, I really do believe he's actually dead. I'm very sorry. <laughs> um there's
2: that's just not a that's not a definite yes.
0: <laughs> there's just no reason that the Dark Kin would have kept him alive um with their religious beliefs. Can you go get me my tea? Um but they would have they would have killed him.
2: Those are ours. Those are yours. Uh, mine's understand. a different type
0: of tea. Oh. <laughs> um so killing Cato so we knew we had to kill somebody off and we sat down and or I sat down and I saw I thought about it and from the perspective of what their jobs were
2: no one needs an interface specialist
0: no one needed an interface specialist in the fringe um, mm-hmm. so he was a highly talented soldier just like the rest of the the gang um, but his actual specialization did not apply to what they were seeing in the fringe there were no to, to their knowledge they didn't know whether or not they were going to be encountering the technology that inner has
1: I actually remember this is gonna sound really shallow I remember being like okay we, we've got it. this interface specialist and I was actually like I'll do that voice and you know we want this guy is really likable let's make him Brian because he's got a really likable voice Thank and you. then I just realized <laughs> that it was really difficult because you're in California to get come down to like record and I was like man you know what instead of killing off the character that I am we'll, we'll switch the job and'
0: I never um, expected I was going to kill Jungquist at all. It was actually kind of more like a toss-up between like Jalo and Cato in my brain.
1: I didn't see that at all. So surprise,
0: only- Brian. Originally, you were supposed to be Jungquist. Oh, cool. <laughs> but you live very far away.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah, originally when Travis came to me um, with the idea to be Cato, I recorded hours worth of dialogue. I, I, it was good. <laughs> It was it was okay. I was having technical difficulties with my speaker, with my mic. I, I think Sean described it as he realized that he wasn't recording with
1: the microphone, he was using the computer microphone.
2: The thing is I, <laughs> I my computer was in an accident, so there'd be I'd do really good takes, minute long takes, and then I'd realize halfway through that there'd be like hissing and crackling. So that was very frustrating. It was a harmless gasoline fight. Yeah. So
0: eventually, he actually got back to Florida, and we stuck him in a closet
2: which to record lines. Which was a lot faster, <laughs> and a lot more I got to take direction from Travis, which I couldn't before. Everything else was through emails and vague comments like, great, but I need this. <laughs> <laughs> well, your, your boot
1: line, like, that one was, I don't know which leg is for my boot.
2: Yeah, there's the line where we're all trying on clothes before we go into the fringe, and I realized as I was listening to this, the podcast completed for the first time, that he used one of my outtakes, which it was turned out really well. A very happy <laughs> surprise. I was like, "Wait, oh okay, cool." There's some really good
1: coughing, Gradius. At one point, it's like, I don't know, <clears throat> I I don't know what's wrong. I'm Gradius. I'm Batman. <laughs> Right. I I heard a lot of that
2: in the blooper reel. A lot of coughing Batman. So organic, though, sometimes with you guys.
1: I know where
0: the lettuce is. It's my favorite (laughs) one.
2: (laughs) It's in the the fridge. All right. So enough about Kato. Next question. So most podcasts are 30 to 60 minutes. Why are the episodes so short?
1: I'm so sorry.
0: Okay. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. And... So a lot of them, along the lines that are more narrative, if you think of, like, uh, Welcome to Night Vale... Sayer. Or Sayer, they're actually much shorter than, say, a live play D&D podcast or uh, just people sitting down and talking, because a lot goes into writing it, recording it, editing it, putting in all of the foley, which means which means sound effects, um, <laughs> and trying to make it sound perfect as a story, which, again kind of leads to it being much shorter also this is the first time I've ever written anything for an audio format so I honestly thought me writing so many what is it like 15 pages was enough and then 15 pages turned into like nothing like no time at all I was like what that took me hours to write and it's Mm -hmm. nothing so they're a lot shorter but hopefully next season they'll be a little bit longer we're shooting for a little bit longer
1: yeah
2: how long does it take to write the script for each episode? Roughly?
0: Hours. <laughs> Wait, no, you can't hear me whisper. Hours.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, it's it's <laughs> takes
1: a while.
0: The way that I write again like I said earlier, I have to send it over to Travis so that he can proof it for atrianness so that everything fits the world correctly, so it'll go back and forth a few times.
2: How long did uh, episode, I believe it was eight, with the kin lore, how, how long did that take?
0: That one was actually surprisingly easy, because when I sit down to write entire paragraphs that are not conversations, it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. So much easier to write just monologues and myths and stories. That was a lot easier to write. It took a lot less time. I think it only took me... Like two and a half hours to get out the first draft really quickly, and that was while I was watching TV shows.
1: That so. is also our longest episode, by the way. <laughs> How long is that one? It's Twenty-two minutes. Okay. What? So that's
0: a lot of text. What's the that shortest still one?
1: Shortest one's nine minutes. <laughs> Which one's nine minutes? <laughs> I think episode three or two. Oh. I was just like, uh. I'm sorry.
0: I really thought like, oh, if I stick to the same page amount, they'll all be perfectly fine. And then some of them end up being. So short.
2: We need to start talking shorter. I mean, longer. (laughs) Yeah, that would make it worse. Yeah. Just talk really slow.
1: Or like, oh, they're going to walk in the hallway for like 10 minutes quietly. And you just footsteps. Nobody wants to hear 10 minutes of footsteps. We just
2: need need more
1: campfire (laughs) scenes. Yeah. More more campfire. I don't know, but people are like, why was the story so long? And it's like, oh, well, it's...
0: <laughs> can I, can it's a story. I, there are a lot more um, reoccurring characters in season two, so there's a lot more dialogue, and we're planning on a lot more actually happening. So we're hoping that even though we're writing it into ten episodes, the episodes are going to be significantly longer. I don't want to say that word, not significant. They're going to be a little bit to maybe guarantee. more longer. <laughs> I was like, each character gets like six pages now. Don't tell them we split them up. I, well, no, it's it goes back and forth. It's just like. Oh my god, writing it takes forever. <laughs>
2: uh, how much recording time goes into a typical episode?
1: Incalculatable, because I actually record with each actor for the entire season at once you know you were in a closet for how, four, how long or five, was four or five hours you know <laughs> give or take just hanging in the closet It you know yep. with like rain and we're like oh it's raining we have to stop for a few minutes while the rain is here and it was actually really hard
0: to get him out of the closet
2: <laughs> honestly it was a breeze compared to what i had to do in la i was in a much smaller closet travis's closet <laughs> here is twice the size <laughs> I have, I have a nice closet And then like Someone flushed a
1: toilet upstairs We have to wait a minute and a half While the water drains through the pipes But yeah. Like each character was maybe Four or five hours Of just recording
2: The main ones Like the main five But yeah. that's
0: not per episode That's pretty much like All of their lines at once
2: Yeah Travis made sure I had a, enough oxygen When you know The carbon <laughs> dioxide Is starting to get to my head You know
1: We have an alarm in there too for it Yeah mm-hmm. beep screen.
2: Yeah. I got my little own hamster wheel in there.
1: <laughs> it's just a lot of recording and then the other characters. It really is just it's like finding the right person for the right voice, getting them into the right mentality. You know, each little character, like the guard from episode 10 which hasn't come out while we're recording this. Even just his one line is took
2: maybe 20 minutes. Yeah, adding on to that, Travis did this all individually with each actor. I've actually only ever met Travis and Caitlin. I never met Any of the other actors, and that was just all audio mixing magic.
0: You met Emesquita.
2: Yeah, you met Emesquita. You met her once, but not after the show. Not, yeah, not during um, recording. I never once met any of them.
1: You don't even have the audio references to work off of, so it's kind of exciting.
2: No, it was definitely cool how it all came together. It seemed very much more natural than I thought it could have been, just recording by myself in a closet.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's Travis's work. Yeah. Making everybody.
2: Sound correct. Another question: What else goes into making an episode? Sound
1: effects. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so thing one is the writing of the script. We've we have the episode, we have the the season outline, then we do an episode outline, and then it gets fleshed in. She does all that stuff. Uh, The episode's written. I do some revisions. Then it goes to characters, and I email them and say, "Yo, we got a." We gotta record, guys. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Also, Kofsky has never actually listened to a single episode. He's not even gonna hear this. Like <laughs> Paul has not listened to any of these. And uh he, he, he really cried. He should. But he, he he like he gave us real tears. I know.
0: He 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 <clears> he does really well when it comes to the acting portions, but he's literally never listened to an episode.
1: No, no. So um What's he saying? So then I, I get all the recording bits from everybody Or I have them show up For Jalo I have to fly out to Georgia And meet with her to record stuff And uh, after all the recording and the principles Then I gotta record this, the other characters And then I have to do retakes Because I usually suck at my own lines Even though I do them last And then uh, all the sound effects have to be made Which is like me playing with a bag Eating grapes and breaking celery Into a microphone for hours And then footsteps I hate footsteps and then ambience, recording different settings. But really, no, I hate footsteps. He's like,
0: okay, Caitlin, I need you to go put on your noisiest shoes and walk around the kitchen for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it's 30 for- minutes, let's start <laughs> the
2: podcast.
1: And then, you know what's the worst part? Like, oh, there's wind in like half of it, so you can't use it. It's just like, hmm. right in the middle of like the walking. So um, there's that, and then there's like extra noises that need to go in after all that, and then I... Troll online for sound effects On free sound websites And then it goes to I have to export each track individually Send it off to Brandon Strader Who's awesome and turns it magically Into a coherent thing That I receive usually the day before the podcast is due And then send it off to Cap So it's,
0: if you wonder why the episodes are so short It's because the work it takes to make them Is so long <laughs> And then
1: we get trolled on iTunes Like your episodes are too short Three stars
0: <laughs> It takes so long guys
2: <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, what we were talking about, obviously, with the, the audio mixing. Um, one person asks, the audio for the characters, is it recorded individually and edited together into the conversations?
1: Yeah, that. actually, I started doing this, the individual like, recording separately. This, is, this whole conversation is actually organic, by the way. It's the only organic conversation you've heard in the entirety of the podcast where more than one person is in a room. In fact, all three of us are actually here. There's no like... This is true. I'm not recording this on my own and then, He's not
2: editing this later and like you know.
1: But um, I was working on an album uh, Legend of the Boar Night And during that album Don't break the... Caitlin, stop that <laughs> Sorry, she's playing with the microphone Anyway, during Legend of the Boar Night I asked Juju to record five minutes of him just talking into a microphone as if he was having a one-sided conversation and then I made it into a conversation at the end of the album. It's like a hidden track of just like us chatting for like 10 minutes. Hmm. And I was like, wow, that sounded really organic. I think I could maybe do this. So that's why we kind of do that. And also it's none of us know each other or could get into a room to do it that. It would
0: take even longer to make an episode if we had to get everybody together. That'd be
1: impossible. Like Hex is in
2: Orlando and Brian's in L.A. and
0: Jalo's in Georgia.
2: Kovsky's in Utah. Kind of a follow up to that question, they write, The conversations still feel very convincing. Is there a secret to that? Are there any specific ways of writing the dialogue for the voice actors? Extensive notes on the delivery or something?
1: I'll let you answer the writing part first.
0: From the writing side, so far I've had many complaints from actors saying the lines that I write are too difficult to say. so that's why we have so many bloopers Jungfist. for someone
2: I got it Jungfist 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 Jungfist, Jungfist. <laughs> I'm so popular <laughs>
0: <laughs> but some of the um, lines that I write are I don't think about how they're said so some of them are tongue twisters and for the second season I swear guys I won't do that I, I think too late yeah so spoiler I've written some of the second season already but for actually writing it from dialogue dialogue is actually more difficult to write in my opinion than big monologues or chunks of descriptive text so I put a lot of thought into it and I have to try and put myself into the mind of what the character would be saying Mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to fringers versus the people from the uh, expedition because there's such a difference in how they speak and the difference in their mannerisms and what they think is important what they would be talking about answer the question
2: I I think so I do okay I think that answers the question (laughs) On the
1: on the editing side, when I'm recording with people, I'll have them repeat a line a couple of different ways. Actually, there's a blooper in the previous one where Hex is saying, Sev presents, Sev presents, Sev presents, Sev presents. And that's just kind of something I have people do. Like, Brian, what was the line that I made you say a bunch of times in different ways?
2: Like, um, was it the boot one? <laughs> the, boot, the boot one was a good one. Like, that was,
1: that was great. Like, sometimes bloopers just fits, feel so much more convincing and natural than when someone's actually trying to say it. Or I'll leave it recording when they don't think I'm recording them, and they'll, like, practice their lines, and I'm like, that yeah, was the best take in ever. In that situation. Yeah. <laughs> as
0: long as they're not crinkling something.
1: As long as they're not crinkling something or doing that lip sound that I hate, that pop. Ew. Right. Those, those sounds, just natural mouth sounds. But yeah, that's really the only secret I have.
2: Okay. Another question. What went into fleshing out the Fringers' respective dialects?
0: So the Fringers have a lot of different dialects. So if you listen to what Rodriguez says in one of the very early episodes, he says he's familiar with a few of the dialects. Um, I said dialects. Dialect.
2: <laughs> dialects.
0: Dialects. Doctor.
2: doctor. Um, so where was I? He was familiar with the Northern Fringers.
0: Yes. um, Or whichever ones it was. I can't think of it right now because now my brain's... An expedition into the
1: Northern Fringe.
0: Yes. Um, So there are a lot of different ones. So if you hear the dark kin speak, versus what you'll be hearing in season two versus what you hear when they encounter a scrapper or a sark or a prox or somebody, it all has to do with what's different. So... We get some people asking us, like, okay, why does one person sound this way when everybody else sounds this way? It's like, because unlike in the inner city where everyone is taught the same way, people mm-hmm. in the fringe come from a variety of different gangs and tribes and ideas and cultures and ways of speaking, and they can easily get transferred from one to another with the death of their gang or something like that. So there's just a big hodgepodge right. of how people speak.
2: Yeah, I seconded. Yeah. One of the things I was even wondering, the episode with the Dark Kin, it's even talked about through the characters how their dialects are so similar and that the Atrians uh, don't speak like the, the Fringers on the surface, um, one of the Dark Kins speaking with them before they let them go. thats That was very curious for me, if so, you guys can talk on that.
0: So from what I know about the origins of the Dark Kin, they came from a separatist group of scientists. So they actually come from very educated stock. Mm
2: -hmm. And because
0: they're actually a very large sort of family, they did have enough genetic diversity that they're not too inbred. But they also have this idea of everyone has to sound like their ancestors. Right. So they all talk in a very specific way, which is from the separatist-educated Atrian scientist group. I believe that's correct. Yeah, they were Here they we were yes. isolated. They were very <laughs> yeah. isolated from
1: their uh, from their comrade Fringers or Separatists. They were called at the time. Like they were a separate group that uh, intentionally and sort of unintentionally, in times, isolated themselves. So these elders used to be Atrians. Well, not
0: these elders. They're too young.
1: Every, their ancestors. Yeah, like all the ancestors, of the, Ancestors' ancestors. You know, okay. The Atrian mindset is, you know, no, they're nothing like us. And, you know, the, the actuality is kind of the opposite.
2: Oh, more Dark Kin questions. <laughs> oh, I didn't even. Yeah, that was a question. I was just thinking yeah. that. What was the question? Why do the Dark Kin speak so well? <laughs> oh. Yeah. My thoughts, exactly.
0: Answered. Move on. <laughs> Why do they
2: speak as they do? <laughs> Will the Dark Kin story play into a larger portion of the later stories? Why was it featured for as long as it was?
0: All right, so there is a little bit of a tie in from what Travis told me. If he's. Yeah,
1: I'm 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 hearing you. I was just letting you finish your sentence. So
0: tell them about the tie in thing. Oh, the tie in thing?
1: (laughs) Oh, the Dark Kin play a large role in the comic book. Uh, They're featured in a later thing of the comic book. I keep talking about the comic book a lot, and it's not even like the first one's not out, but that'll be changed soon um, in March. They they play a pretty big role in the comic book, and there's a lot of their iconography, and a lot of their characters make an appearance, and it's, I feel like they're brushed through, honestly. Like You don't kind of understand what these guys are really about, but you have a sense that there's some sort of greater story behind them, and I really wanted to tell that story in a way that was not forced, and it wouldn't have hit the comic at all.
0: And I have a different reason. Um, so the reason that I wrote it to be so long was, one, because it's actually supposed to be an ethnographic investigation, it makes a lot of sense for them to actually have to hear something that is part of a culture, part of a mythos. And additionally, because they literally had just lost Cato, um, they get to the point where you are supposed to feel like you're trapped there just as much as they're trapped there. So it's not like they can just easily leave and could have easily left with Cato, it is that they are trapped there and they have to listen to the story. So it has to do with the feeling of, yeah, this, this is really long and they actually had to sit through it, they had to remember it, and then they were able to leave. Um, so it is both like a narrative and the feeling of immersion being stuck in the world with them during this process, so.
2: Mm-hmm. So why is Atreus interested in studying the Fringers? Was there a war between the citizens of Atreus and the Fringers?
1: Um, Their interest stems from exactly that. The Fringe is the biggest threat Atreus has. There is almost no infighting because of this polarizing, grand, almost deified leader known as the Archon. And she's been at war, and uh, as a result, Atreus is at war with the Fringe, and it's been this way for hundreds of years.
0: I just thought of something that maybe people don't know that's actually really important. What's that? So the way that Atreus is laid out... The inner city is literally like the center of the donut and then the fringe is like the donut. It completely surrounds Atreus. So it's
1: I like literally like
0: it's, it's literally like they're stuck <laughs> stuck in between all these Fringers. So, can I say about the mining? I don't know what I'm allowed to say. You can say anything (laughs) you
1: want. You're totally free.
0: It was supposed to be a mining um, colony in in the beginning, and then they abandoned it, and nobody on the planet knew why. And so, because they were trying to terraform the planet, they only were able to terraform a single part of the planet, and that's where both the Fringe and the inner city are. Real quick, do
1: we know the name of the planet? Uh, No, we don't know the name of the planet.
2: Mm. Continue.
0: Okay, moving on. Or going back or whatever. So if you think about it like that, then the inner city and the fringe were at one point all the same thing. They were part of a very very prosperous mining colony. But as there was this civil war and all this strife, it kind of separated over time. And shouldn't you be saying this? I feel bad saying this. No, I yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. <laughs> so now we have the inner city, which is literally on the inside of this colonized section. And this is the very prosperous section where almost all the buildings are still intact and technology is still almost operational. Mm-hmm. And then you have the fringe where a lot of the wars took place, a lot of uh, dilapidation, where things were get- beginning to fall apart. It's still habitable, right. um, but it's not the... Utopia of the inner city
2: So I would assume anything that uh, That Kofsky And the gang bring back with them it's, It's never going to be public knowledge Even whether they think it will be or not It's just what the Archon Needs to know if there's threats, I'm assuming
1: Certain elements might be made publicly Available, but it would be The monstrous elements Yeah, they want to really make the Fringe seem like a place You don't want to visit on your vacation Or your time off
0: so they would make Cato Patel out to be like this martyr like he went out into the fringe and the horrible monsters killed him like mm-hmm. things like that like they would play it up as propaganda
1: right there's kind of um, sort of a back and forth between like totally saying they're monsters that they can't be reasoned with and at the point in history the the podcast takes place they're starting to say okay well there's a you know, Fringers have devolved into creatures that aren't even recognizable as being
2: semblances of what they once were. But besides perpetuating the propaganda of the Fringers, is there anything specific that Atreus is searching for in the Fringe that they want to know?
1: Military strategic advantages. Um, in episode 10, when they're talking to the uh, very awesome salesman, who I, I love so dearly, he starts going into like, oh yeah, we can we can crack open the Atrian guns and the ones the innies use, and those can be repurposed for our, our own good. And mm-hmm. Atrian guns only fire if the intended user is holding it. They've got scanners and such, they're really technical. Without getting into boring gun technology detail stuff, this is a very huge threat that someone could crack open, you know, kill someone, take their gun and give it to someone, because most fringers don't have working automatic firearms at all. Most fringers don't even have firearms. It's a lot of resources required. Hmm.
2: I guess one of the things I was wondering throughout the podcast, why why is Kofsky there if that's what Atreus is after? It besides like for the audience to to understand what the fringers are, is there a specific reason that Atreus wants him there? From my perspective, they want to understand any Future
1: threats. So, if there's a gang that's rising to power, they want to understand what that gang is, what they're about, what their goals are, who important figures are within that gang, and who better to send to get all this information than someone who's actually interested in learning about them and is fascinated by them. And he sort of dreams about it in his little zeros and ones, you know, as he writes, you know, crunches numbers at that a desk statistics. Not binary. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's a calculator.
0: But if you think about Listen it from about If you think about it from like a a strategic um, perspective, but also from a cultural perspective, if you think about religions, a single religion that gains power, gains followers over time becomes the Christian empire or things like that. Mm -hmm. So in the fringe, if there's the rise of, let's say, this is not happening, I'm just giving an example, if the dark kin mythos, if that pantheon became far more powerful and far more influential. Eventually you'd have so many fringers following one set of rules and one single leader that they would be a formidable force. So understanding all the different ideas of what's important to them, what religions they follow, things like that is actually important for a technical militaristic perspective.
1: And, And previously to the story, also sort of answering the other question, there was a war because one fringer sort of took over. He became really powerful, got a huge group together, unified a large portion of the Fringe, and said, we're going after Atreus. That's the next jewel we are going to take. And they outnumbered Atreus, so it was a big threat.
2: So why must Fringers trade for food and water privately? Is it similar to a drug deal? And uh, why trade water tokens and not just the actual good? I assume it's traded privately because they don't want people trying to kill them for their food and water, right? (laughs)
0: Pretty much. Meal canisters are actually really rare in the fringe. Not really rare, but they're considered very high monetarily. So people eat people in the fringe, if you haven't noticed. Um, Mm -hmm. So actually trading meal, literally carrying around a physical piece of meal is like carrying around $100 in your pocket. You don't really want people to know that you have that. So for the water tokens, from what I was writing it from the perspective of, it was... That they don't physically have the water. Um, there are only a few places in the fringe where you can go and get water if you trade it for a token, because the people who are have the power over the water give out tokens to people who trade with them. Okay. So that trading group that we saw was trading something they had traded before. Are we sense. gonna
2: get to um, through the pot There's gonna be future podcasts, I'm assuming. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. is
0: season two right. in the works. <laughs>
2: Are we gonna get to see more of the the water traders, like specifically, like and their inner workings? Like,
1: I don't know that we're we're focusing on that in the next season. But if we have future seasons subsequently after that, which is being decided and such, we we might. Water tokens play a, a bit of a role in in some of the comic, and also kind of another part about water tokens. Some buildings have running water. But to keep the, the water running from like a treatment facility
2: or somewhere where the water wouldn't, you know, just, yeah, you have to pay for that. That's another thing I was wondering about. The middle of the donut, Atreus, yeah. how, are, how are they getting all these resources when the fringe is so huge and vast that they could possibly deny them such resources?
1: They're basically resource manufacturing facilities, RMFs. It's the future, so technology is really grand and awesome, but they kind of had let a lot of things run into disrepair on in the fringe you know they didn't keep a guy working at full time because he had no motivation to do so until a gun was pointed at his head and he said learn how to you know make this thing work and then someone mm-hmm. fought over it and you know blew up one of the functioning parts of it yeah so these things are scattered throughout all of Atreus there's lots of them for meal manufacturing because they don't have cows they don't have pigs they don't have plants really so they're food comes from this plant that manufactures it. uh, And there's, there's a bunch of those, but Atreus is, is self-sufficient and it, uh, they've expanded in such a way because it started Mm -hmm. off much smaller. They've, they've taken more territory over the years. So the ones in the fringe are like remnants that are just still working. Yeah. They're really uh, messed up. Atreus had a lot to do with that actually. Right.
0: There's also, because um, the inner city is so restricted they have a way of keeping their resources at an okay level. They actually have restrictions on how many children yep. couples are allowed to have while in the fringe people just have Multiply. so many children. But that's why in the fringe there's also such resource scarcity that people result to or cannibalism, lead to cannibalism. Right. So the inner city has a way of keeping everything very well structured to keep everybody happy and satisfied. And then the fringe is everyone can do what they want. They're free. But that freedom comes with the price of maybe being dinner.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, long question. Was the background sound design for the Warfather's tale influenced by the uh, Balinese monkey chant most famously featured in the movie Baraka? Uh, the audio hints at a much larger cultural tapestry within the dark kin. Like, whenever Higoros is mentioned, there is a brief chant... Other names and phrases seem to have certain sounds or actions associated with them during the course of the story, which really adds to the immersion. And just in case you are unfamiliar with the monkey chant, they list the YouTube link.
1: Okay, so uh, that's actually our, I think, our last question. That whole scene took way too much of my time. But it, I'm really happy with how it turned out. It was awful up until Strader mixed it. Was um, it Higurus
0: who had the chant? Or was
2: it... Well, Higurus has like the the like, ah, chant. I was, a, okay, I was definitely then- picturing it like a Mad Max scene just like with the oh, yeah. people below chanting. And like every time they say,
1: Praebius Ha! ha yeah, <laughs> they have that go on. but it was it was a mix of the Day of the Dead Native American celebration singing. and they have like, you know, whips and flutes and like yelling. I, I really loved that um, with some Bangladeshi school children playing instruments. And them playing the instruments is actually charming when you listen to it on its own. But when you give it like a sinister context, them poorly playing... <laughs>
2: it <laughs> <they're> was really <laughs> creepy.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, this kid doesn't know how to play a tuba very well. <laughs> oh, oh man, they're playing like tubas and it's very dissonant. <laughs> and there was also um, cheering. I have a band, Careless Juja, and we uh, had a bunch of people show up to do cheering and um, singing for an album we were working on. And I used some of that cheering for uh, this as well. There was also chanting from the Mayan end of the world celebration back in 2012 in Mexico. And uh, that was also included. It was a lot of like day of the dead stuff. That was the, the uh, Mm. sound in the background, lots of that, but I had never actually seen Baraka, but I had, I was somewhat familiar with uh, Balinese chanting. I just, I wasn't really on my mind, but I was thinking kind of in similar circles. It, it's actually a really cool video. If you look up Baraka monkey chant, it's, it's kind of cool, but really weird, but fun.
2: <laughs> cool. Well, that's the end of our questions. Thank you guys so much for writing in. We really appreciate it.
0: I uh, just a little clap. Nobody can hear that. <laughs> but cool. yeah, thanks to everybody who sent in questions, and thanks to everybody who's helped make the podcast a thing. We're really happy with how many people are tuning in, sending questions already. because it's, it's only like four months old or something like that. So it's been pretty insane that people actually listen to something that I write. That's weird. <laughs> Why do you do that, guys?
1: <laughs> Thank you, because <laughs> it's great. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and if you hear Brian's voice in the future, he's, he's probably not Kato Patel, but imagination
0: yeah that's actually one of the main reasons i was like i don't know if we can use brian because if they hear his voice they're gonna be like kato's back and i'm like no no he's not he's not
2: oh they won't (laughs) hear me we'll do like robotic sounds and stuff you know (laughs) we'll just we'll distort
1: Thank you guys again And we also wanted to Really quickly let you know uh, The following episodes Are going to be Tales from the Tower A series of Short narrative Style horror stories To get us through While we are working Diligently on season two Crying bloody tears As we uh, work Doubly as much To bring each episode It takes so
0: long To write an episode
1: (laughs) To life and uh, we hope you will stick with us during this wait and enjoy our, uh, our wonderful narrations by a diverse cast of people from around the country.
0: And if you see us at Magic City Comic Con in Miami, if you see us at C2E2 in Chicago, Tampa Bay Comic Con in Tampa, and MegaCon in Orlando, you can stop by our booth and we have Liberty Critical Research stickers. And we'd love to talk about the podcast. And may the Archon watch over you.
2: Reeve endures. Reeve indoors.